Amen. I love that song so much. Church, just keep focusing on that throne, God on his throne, and let that change you and, and just affect you and uh, direct your life as we worship him daily. It is now my pleasure to introduce to you uh, a man that maybe some of you know. He's been with us before, telling us about the Intentional Interim Ministry, Dr. David Bond. He is the Executive Administrator of the Arkansas Baptist State Convention, and um, I know he didn't like me to brag on him, but he does have his Ph.D. in Christian Education, which will be a benefit to us as a church. Um, he is, uh, he served in various capacities over the years in the church, including senior pastor, and uh, he's very experienced in the Intentional Interim Ministry Program. In fact, he does a lot of the training for that, so we're happy and blessed to have him uh, for this. Now, he's going to come in just a few moments and uh, preach the Word of God for us this morning and tonight and next Sunday morning before we vote. But I do want to remind you, and we'll keep saying this just to help be clear and help to layer it, that he is here in, in view of becoming our intentional interim pastor. So it's a lot of meaning packed in those words. It's intentionally interim, and he's the interim. He's not here to be our permanent pastor, but he is here to uh, fill that great gap that's left after Brother John's retirement and helping us as a church to go through the transition process and, and work through the, tr the transition team in uh, equipping us to be able to form a pastor search committee sometime later next year. Um, he'll be with us through every step of the way if it's the will of the church to call him. That's what he's here today to preach for us, and we'll be voting that next Sunday. Um, at this time, I'm going to ask Brother David to come on up to the stage, and church, just make him feel welcome. Thank you. Amen. I invite you to open your Bibles with me to Colossians chapter 1 while you're finding your place uh, in God's Word there in Colossians 1. Thank you, James, for that introduction. Thank you, Mike, for leading us today, uh, church, for worshiping together. It's already been a, a joy to uh, be here and, and, and truly to sing of our Lord and, and to sing, as, as James mentioned, of His throne and, and just to have that time of celebration with you. So a joy to be here. Thank you for uh, letting me be here and just for this time of walking uh, with you over these next couple of weeks as we seek together... God's direction, God's leadership in the next phase of, of ministry in the life of, of the church. As James uh, mentioned a few weeks ago, the church voted to enter the intentional interim ministry process. And uh, what, what that is, you've heard some details about it a few weeks ago and, and probably since then as well. But it's just a time to intentionally invest these uh, weeks and months of pastoral transition into a strategic process that is uh, designed to, to focus uh, us together on, on purpose. Uh, to, to, to clarify the uh, identity of the church. Who are we? Who do we want to be to promote unity? Uh, and just to do all kinds of things together that prepare you uh, for eventually the ministry of a new pastor. Uh, who uh, we, we pray with, with God's providence will have a, a, a ministry that is in its own right long and effective and fruitful for the kingdom of God. And so I just commend you for looking ahead into the future and desiring to prepare yourself, prepare your church in such a way that that will happen. And I look forward to following God's direction and leadership as we uh, confirm his will to that end. So this morning we want to share in a time of scripture and, and study from Colossians chapter 1 
And I just want to talk this morning uh, about a message that I'm just calling Only Jesus. Uh, I just uh, smiled a few moments ago. Michael and I did not talk about the sermon or anything, but one of the lines and one of the songs that we sang uh, just a moment ago had that, had that phrase, Only Jesus. Only Jesus, because regardless of, of what you do in, in programming or in leadership, nothing matters except Jesus Christ. Nothing matters except him, and it's important that we rally around that truth. Uh, I live in Bryant, Arkansas. My wife and I, uh, Renee, have been married for 26 years. She is not here with me this morning. She probably will be here with me next Sunday. She was involved in uh, an activity immediately after our morning service at our church, First Southern Baptist Church uh, in Bryant. So she's there today, but hopefully you get to meet her next week. Uh, We have two daughters. Our oldest daughter is 24. Her name is Kelsey. She lives, she's, in, she's married, lives in Hot Springs. And uh, our youngest daughter is Cassidy, and she is 18, and she is in her first couple of months of her freshman year at Washtenaw Baptist University. So if you're doing the math, we don't have kids at home anymore. And so we're learning that new, new season of, of life, and we spent some time with her uh, at Washtenaw this past weekend for some homecoming uh, activities. And when the girls were, were small, we played a game called uh, Guess Who. And you may have played that, that, that board game, little board game. Each player, when you play Guess Who, has a, uh, a board with rows of these cartoon character type faces on them. And so everybody has the same cards, the same names, same faces. And, and you get to pick one that is your kind of chosen person. And you hide that one, and then uh, the other player begins to ask a series of questions that try and guess who your person is. You're supposed to ask yes-no questions based on the description of all those faces before you and try to figure out which one has your opponent chosen as, as their person. And so we would, we would play this game, and, and we'd ask those, those questions. Is your person a man, yes or no? And however they answer that question, you could eliminate the other ones. Does your person have brown hair, you might ask? Does your, your person have a big nose? Does, is, is your person wearing glasses? You would ask those questions. And I would aggravate the girls. I would, uh, when they were little, I would ask them questions that were impossible for them to know just by looking at this cartoon face on a card. I would say, does your person like Mexican food? You know, and they would roll their eyes, you know. You know, is your person from Cleveland? You know, and they, they would, you know, that, that kind of thing. Is your person afraid of spiders? You know, I would just ask all these questions and just kind of irritate them because that's what dads do. But the goal of the game was to eliminate every possibility except one. The, the, the goal is to, is to get down to where it's only possible for one person to answer all the questions. It's, it's only possible for one person to fit the complete description where it's only possible for one person who, after all the filters have been applied, is still standing alone. Only one person. Friends, this morning we're, we're here together and, and we will, uh, if the Lord directs, enter into this process together because there is still only one person who at the end of everything stands alone. And his name is Jesus. Only one name that's above every name. Only one person who is worthy of our worship. Only one person whose death and resurrection resulted in our redemption. There's only one. It's only him. It is only Jesus. Only Jesus. And the goal of our time during a pastoral transition is not to complete a program. It's certainly not to protect our preferences. It's, it's even really not ultimately about searching for a pastor 
Our goal is to know and to proclaim and to exalt and to share Jesus. Only Jesus. Now, just as we do sometimes, we, we have to be reminded of that. And so did the ancient city of Colossae. The ancient city of Colossae was at a, a hub of, of travel. It was at a, a, a hub of, of business and trade. And as a result, it brought many outside influences and ideas to the people and even uh, to the church. And so the Apostle Paul writes this letter to the church, and in it, uh, he addresses some of these things that begin to creep in. Now, at the beginning, here in chapter 1, he is commending their faith. He, he promises them of his prayers, and he reminds them of their salvation in Christ. And then he gives them a description that fits only one person. He gives them a reminder that no matter what else they hear, no matter what else ideas may begin to creep in, no matter what other thoughts begin to come into the church from the other side, there's only one person that is worthy of all that we have to give. And he describes him in Colossians chapter 1 beginning in verse 15. The Bible says that he is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation, for everything was created by him and in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Friends, only one person can fit a description like that. Only Jesus. I want to take a few moments to look more closely at this passage. Let's look at four descriptions for only Jesus. Four descriptions for only Jesus. Here they are. Number one is this. Only Jesus is the picture of the Father. Only Jesus is the picture of the Father. Verse 15 says that he is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Have you ever noticed that, that people are always, always trying to find pictures of Jesus on stuff? Have you seen that? This happens all the time. I read an article several years ago where this caught my attention. It's all the way back in 2006. A man named Mike Thompson was in his kitchen. He's making breakfast one morning. He's making pancakes. And the story, as, as reported in his hometown news, said they looked down at his stack of pancakes, and they're going to pancake. Mike claims to have seen the image of Jesus. <laughs> Now, he was so spiritually moved by this experience that the story said he immediately took the pancake and listed it on an online auction site for $500. You know, so it was a very powerful moment in his life. But people other than Mike have had this type of experience. Right around that same time, there was a, a report of a, a, a woman this time in St. Petersburg, Florida, claimed to have an image of Jesus on a potato chip. And she went around with this potato chip showing everybody, this is Jesus. It was sour cream and onion, in case you're interested, you know. Which I'm kind of a barbecue man myself, but that's what she had. And there's so many other examples. People are always looking for a picture of Jesus on stuff. Just a quick search. I saw that someone said that they had seen an image of Jesus etched into a hotel window. One man said that he saw an image of Jesus burst through the clouds in Italy. One headline said a man saw the image of Jesus in a tree. Another headline read that Jesus, a man saw the image of Jesus in his chicken dinner. 
Another headline said that a man saw an image of Jesus in a breakfast taco. Now, have you noticed that it's usually men in these stories? It's not ladies coming up with this stuff. I mean, I just by way of observation. What is going on? Well, here is what I think is happening in, in, in some sense in these stories. Why people are always looking for an image of Jesus wherever they can find it. You know, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, that God has placed eternity in our hearts. There is, is something in a people that wants God to be real, that wants to find and, and know and experience God. And even in the hearts of people who, who claim that they don't have faith, who claim that they don't believe, there's still something about them that wants Jesus to be real, and they begin looking for him. Because they know deep down in their hearts, if they could see Jesus, they would see and learn something about God. And you know, they're trite. When we see Jesus, we see God. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Now, what does that mean? Well, we know that God the Father is invisible to us. In Exodus chapter 33, God tells Moses that no one can see my face and live, God says. In other words, God said, I'm so holy and I'm so above a man that it's impossible for a mere human person to actually look upon God and live. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 15 says, uh, God lives in unapproachable light where no one can, can see or has seen him. We can't see God, and yet God desires us to know him. And yet, though we can't see him, God desires us to experience him. And so to accomplish this, God came to be with us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we celebrate at Christmas, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus came to be with us so that we could see what had been invisible to us. Jesus walked this earth as the perfect image and the picture of God. And the scripture testifies to this. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 that Jesus is the exact representation of God's being. Philippians 2.6 says that Jesus is the very form of God. John chapter 10 verse 30, Jesus said that he is the very flesh of God. And if that weren't clear enough, in John chapter 14 verse 9, Jesus told the disciples very plainly, If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. John chapter 1 verse 18 says, No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is at the Father's side, he has revealed him. Friends, only Jesus can reveal God because he is God. And when we see Jesus, when we see him, and when we encounter him in the pages of Scripture, we see what God looks like in the world. And we learn how to live in a way that reflects God. Jesus is the picture of the Father. We know that God reaches out to the outcast. How do we know that? Because that's what we see Jesus doing. We, we know that God can bring healing and God does bring healing to the hurting. How do we know that? Because that's what Jesus did. We know that God loves all people, even his enemies. How do we know that? Because that's what we see Jesus doing. We know that God cares for the helpless. We know that God stands for the truth. Why? Because that's what we see Jesus doing. Friends, only Jesus can reveal God because he is God. He is the image of the invisible Father. He is the perfect picture of our Father, only Jesus. Only him. When we see Jesus... We see 
our God. But number two, I want us to look at another part of this description, and that's this. Not only is Jesus the picture of the Father, but only Jesus provides an example for us. Only Jesus can provide an example for us. Jesus is our example. Uh, I grew up in southwest uh, Arkansas, just north of Texarkana, in a little little town called Ashdown. Some of you may, may have been to Ashdown. And uh, in our home well, was myself and my younger brother. He used to be my little brother. He's no longer my little brother, but he's still my younger brother. <laughs> and so I'm the firstborn in our family. How many, how many firstborns in the family we have here? There we are. That's right. Hey, let's just be real. It's good to be the firstborn. And, I mean, it just, it just is. There, there, there are some privileges. There's something special about being the firstborn. I mean, you know some of them. I mean, my, my, my clothes are all new. I mean, you always had new clothes. <clears throat> There's more pictures of me than there are of my younger brother. And even, even if you look through our family photos, the pictures that there are of him, I'm in about half of those too. You know? <clears throat> it's, I'm, it's privileges. And I'll tell you, it's, it's, it's safer if you're the firstborn in the family. I mean, it really is. I mean, we, had, we have two daughters. <clears throat> you know how it is. The first, first one's born, and, and we're going around the house, and I'm putting little safety latches on everything, right? Every cabinet. Right, got to put a safety latch on it. Even the ones that I can't even reach with a ladder, better put one up there just in case, you know. Going around in every outlet, you know, putting a little plastic cover into the into the, all the outlets, then you that it'll never come out again. You know, you're supposed to be able to pull those out, and I I can't ever do it. You know, all these safety things, safety gates everywhere you know, for that firstborn child, and the second one comes along, and it's like, oh, they'll be all right. You know, <laughs> they'll be fine. It's it's dangerous. If you're not the firstborn. Some of you, you're the third or fourth or fifth born. I'm just glad you're here. I mean, amen. You're alive. You didn't get left somewhere. You know, didn't we have four kids out of three or four? I don't know. <clears throat> Let's just keep these, you know. Now, also, you know, when you're the firstborn, you're supposed to be the example. All right, that's another, you know, with great privilege comes great responsibility. You know, so you're the firstborn, you get these privileges, but you're also supposed to be an example. Mom always, you know, be an example for your little brother. You know, I tried to be an example for my little brother. I, I taught him how to climb up on the roof of the house one day. I taught him that. You know, he didn't know how to do that, but I helped him do that. I taught him how to clean a fish. Turns out we used the best knife in the kitchen. I didn't realize we were supposed to do that, but it looked like a, a good tool to me. They're always telling us, be a good example. That's what you're supposed to do as the firstborn. You go ahead of them. You're supposed to teach them. You're supposed to show them. You're supposed to help them learn lessons by them watching your life. And sometimes as firstborn, we, we do that well, and many times we do not do that as well. But Jesus, as the firstborn, does it perfectly. Jesus, as the firstborn, is the example for us that is, is greater and, and better than any other firstborn could ever be. Jesus, as the firstborn, he has gone before us to show us how to live now and how to live forever. Later on in this passage, in, in verse 18, we read it a moment ago, it said that Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead. That is, Jesus was the first to rise from the dead as one who will never die again. He went before us as an example of our own resurrection. Jesus did that. Romans chapter 8 verse 29 says that Jesus is the firstborn among many brothers. That is, Jesus went ahead of us to show us that we can all be adopted into the family of God. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 6 says that Jesus is the firstborn 
over all the heavens. He is worshipped by the angels. That uh, reminds us and is an example for us that we can trust him as one who has made the way to heaven for us. Jesus did these things. When a firstborn goes ahead of you, you have an example of how to handle the challenges that come to life. And no firstborn has ever been a better example than Jesus. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15, a marvelous passage of scripture says that we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tested in every way as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us at the proper time. You see, as the firstborn, Jesus has gone ahead of us through every experience of life, and he's given us an example and a confident hope that we can latch on to and follow because Jesus has gone first. Have you ever felt rejected and abandoned? Jesus did that first. Have you ever dealt with a world that was governed by a corrupt and godless government? Jesus did that first. Have you known the grief and the pain of loss? Jesus did that first. Have you ever felt physically and emotionally exhausted? Jesus did that first, and on and on and on. Friends, you may have had an older firstborn brother who went ahead of you and can help you through some things, but friends, only Jesus can relate to it all. Only Jesus. Only Jesus is the picture of the Father. Only Jesus provides example for us. Number three, only Jesus is in control of this world. Only Jesus is in control of this world. One of the things I've also noticed in the news, and you have too, is how often people jump to use the word crisis. You know that? Everybody, everything's a crisis. You've seen that play out on the, on the news and in the media. We have an economic crisis. We're in a climate crisis. We've got a diplomatic crisis we got a constitutional crisis. we got a college football team crisis. Now, that one might be right. I don't know. i got to think. <clears throat> People just want to believe that, that this world is, is out of control. Some people that are just, that are just paralyzed and consumed with this idea that, that, that there's no sense of order, that there, there's no way of explaining the world, that there's no uh, a view in which we can make sense of of this planet, that there's no order, no answer. Everything is chaotic. Everything is in crisis. But, you know, the Christian worldview from the Scripture says that's not the way to view the world at all. Well, the Bible says that Jesus is and has been in control of this world from the very beginning, and he will be in control of it until this planet's very end. Verse 16, because by Jesus, by him, everything was created in heaven and on earth, the visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. Verse 17 says, he is before all things and by him all things hold together. Verse 18 says, he is also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. See, followers of Christ, we don't live as if everything is in crisis. 
our worldview is not that, that there are no answers, that there, are, uh, that there is no hope. No, we, we don't live with this sense that we ought to be full of fear and anxiety and stress because we know the one who is in control. Everything created by Jesus. Everything created for Jesus. Everything created below Jesus. Everything held together in Jesus. Everything in second place to Jesus. Only Jesus brings crisis and chaos into order. Friends, we know this. There is no government or candidate that can solve a crisis in a country. There is no job or relationship or possession that can bring peace to our life. There is no man-made religion or spiritual ritual that can bring salvation to our souls. And friends, in a time of transition, lest we forget that there is no pastor or style or schedule or program that can bring life and eternal impact into any church. Friends, it is only Jesus. There's only Him. And everything is under Him. There's only one person who fits this description. Only Jesus can show us the Father. Only Jesus is the example for us as we live in this life. Only Jesus is in control of this world. And lastly, number four is this. Only Jesus can give you peace with God. Only Jesus can give you peace with God. Verse 19, For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And the way to have peace with God is only through Jesus. Only Jesus can give you peace. The Bible says that all people are sinners, and, and as a result, we've been separated from God in his heaven. That's the reason why no one can look upon God in their, own, in their own strength, in their own capacity, and live, because he is holy, and we are not. We are separated from him. And there is no amount of, of good works or right living or moral behavior that can make up for the sin in our own lives. We are not capable of going to heaven on our own. We are not capable of our own forgiveness. We are not capable of our own uh, uh, reconciliation of our relationship with God. We need a Savior. We need a Savior. And only Jesus came to earth, fully God, fully man, and lived a holy sinless life only Jesus lived in such a way that he was not subject to the wrath of 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 God for sin and yet only Jesus in that state went to the cross where he died a substitutionary death for you and for me so that sin could be forgiven so that your personal sin and my personal sin could be forgiven only Jesus rose again from the dead as one never to die again and defeated the power of death and and sin and hell over us forever and therefore only Jesus friend Listen, only Jesus can offer you forgiveness and eternal life. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. 1 Timothy 2 verse 5 says, There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. And when you place your faith in him, the Bible says that when we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ, only Jesus. And friends, you'll never have peace in your life. You'll never have peace in this world. You'll never have, have peace in your soul unless and until you find it in Jesus, only Jesus. 
Friends, when you place your faith and you place your trust in Him, He gives you His peace and He changes your life forever. Every now and then we, we see a story play out publicly in which we see what happens when a person's life is changed because of the love and grace and peace that they have found in Jesus. Because they do things that a lost world looks at and cannot comprehend. We saw that this week. The story began back in September 6, 2018, when a 26-year-old young man named Botham Jean was sitting in his apartment in Dallas. Some reports say sitting on the couch eating ice cream. When Amber Geiger, a Dallas Police Department officer who had worked a long shift, no doubt tired, but uh, came back thinking she was entering into her apartment, but instead entered the apartment of, of Botham Jean and thinking he was a burglar in her home, opened fire on him, shooting twice and killing him. She was arrested a few days later, placed on trial. And this past week, her trial took place. Amber was convicted and she was sentenced. Before she was taken away for her, her sentence, her uh, there was a victim impact statement that was allowed by the judge. The victim impact statement was given by Botham Jean's younger brother, 18-year-old Brant Jean. Brant Jean took the stand and he looked at Amber, who had killed his brother. And he looked at her and he said, I forgive you. He looked at her and he said, I want nothing bad for you. He looked at her and he said, I love you, and I want what's best for you. And then he looked at her with cameras rolling, and he said, give your life to Christ. Give your life to Christ. And then in an extraordinary turn of events, he asked the judge if he could give her a hug. And to an astonished courtroom he and Amber met in front of the judge's bench and bench in an embrace that lasted more than 60 seconds. Sobbing, speaking to one another, offering forgiveness, pleading for her to give her life to Christ. How do you find that kind of love? The world is talking about this. They don't understand it. Where did that come from? How do you find that kind of peace? How do you find that kind of love? How do you find that kind of grace? How do you make sense of how someone is able to do something like that? Only Jesus. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. Friends, this morning I just want to ask you, you've ever come to a point in your life You've given your life to Jesus. Are you still searching for hope, for peace, for joy? You'll not find it in the world. You'll not find it in anything else. But it's freely offered to you in Jesus Christ, a personal relationship with him. He's given it to you as a free gift of grace. Will you simply admit your need for him? Will you ask him to forgive you? Will you commit yourself to following after him? And will you watch your life changed forever? I want to ask you to stand. We're going to pray together and we're going to sing a song of response. 
And as we sing, uh, James will be here at the front. Matthew's available. I'm available. Maybe some of you that you need to give your life to Jesus, be saved today. Maybe others of you want to join the life of this church in membership. Maybe you said, you know, there's, I think there's been a time in my life when I've been saved, but I've never been, been baptized. I've never begun to follow after Jesus in obedience. We'd love to talk with you about that experience. Friends, don't leave here this morning with questions. Don't leave here this morning wondering if you have a relationship with Christ. Turn to Him, and you'll find Him ready and willing to receive you. Father, I pray for this moment. It belongs to you. Father, only you can speak to hearts. You know our hearts. You know everything about us. And even, even then, while we were yet sinners, the Bible says is when you and Christ gave your life for us so we could be forgiven and have eternal life. God, whatever decision needs to be made today by anyone in this room, God, I pray for courage. I pray for the convicting presence of the Holy Spirit just to reach, reach into their hearts. Draw people to yourself for your glory and yours alone. We ask it in Jesus' name.